0: Well, hey, everybody. So great to be with you, whether you're here in the room or joining us online. I'm thrilled to have you along for the ride. And by the way, uh, a special welcome if you're visiting with us for the first time today, or even the first time in a long time. You didn't know this when you walked in or tuned in, but you really couldn't have picked a better week to visit, because this weekend we begin a super practical series that we've called Repairing Relationships. That'll take us right up to Memorial weekend, like spring is knocking on our door. Did you notice when you walk yeah, outside this morning? That's like, finally, God has not forsaken our land. Anyway, <laughs> without further ado, to get us going, I want to ask you a really personal question. And fair warning, we're going to go deep fast today. So we're just going to jump right in. The question goes like this, who hurt you? Like, who comes to mind when you see this question? Maybe it was your employer years ago or an employee recently or a friend or an ex or a parent or one of your kids. Like like if we're honest, we all have somebody that we can identify who hurt us. Or maybe for a whole bunch of us, we would say, man, they're hurting me right now. Um, And and you know this, but this is a really big deal because whether we like it or not, uh, the quality of your life is actually determined by the quality of your relationships, The quality of your life is largely determined by the quality of your relationships. Like in the end, relationships matter way more than where we live or what we drive or where we shop or where we go on vacation. And that's why, if you're honest, your greatest tensions right now as you sit here this morning are likely relational tensions. Relationships can make our lives complicated. They can cause pain. They can cause anger. They can sap our energy, and they can rob us of, like, the quality of life that we deeply desire. Uh, But now that I've got us all depressed, here's some good news, (laughs) right? I'm convinced that there's hope for even the most broken relationships. Because after working to help people navigate relational tensions for, like, two decades or more as a pastor, I've noticed something, uh, and it's really, really cool. It's kind of the big idea for this whole series. It goes like this. Um, You can have peace about a relationship even without peace in that relationship, you, you really can. And that's really what this four part series is all about. Like, practically, how can we begin to repair our broken relationships? And so, so, to get us going today, what I want to do is begin by showing you something incredibly relevant to our conversation that an early pastor named Paul wrote some 2,000 years ago to Christians living in the city of Rome, which at the time was the capital of the world. It's a pretty stunning statement. Here's what Paul instructs followers of Jesus to do. He says to them, hey guys, lean in here. I want you to live at peace with everyone. And I know what you're thinking. Something like, dude, easier said than done, right? I mean, we want to raise our hand and say, Paul, buddy, you're obviously not aware of my life situation. You've never hung around my in-laws. You've never had like an annoying roommate or an ex. Uh, You've never had to deal with an abrasive coworker or a defiant child. Paul, come on, live at peace with everyone. That sounds good. It actually even sounds Jesus-y which is a thing, right? That's like something that Jesus would have us do, but like there's no way that's actually possible. It's like, are you using hyperbole? You can't really mean it. But but see, here's the thing. I think Paul did actually mean it. And the the reason that I say that is because of his backstory. If you spend any time in church, you're aware of where Paul came from before becoming a Jesus follower. Like before he wrote that letter to Christians in Rome. Paul's life had to be filled to overflowing with broken relationships. I mean, prior to coming to believe in Jesus, Paul was a professional Jewish religious leader who persecuted and arrested Christians. He was like a Christian hunter. That is, until the day he came face to face with the resurrected Jesus and everything changed. Like in an instant, he went from trying to stop the church to dedicating his life to spreading the mission and message of Jesus to the world. So I don't think we can begin to overstate the challenges and complexities that Paul would have encountered while attempting to rebuild broken relationships in his life. I mean, think about it. He was trying to restore relationships with people who he had arrested and incarcerated. It had to be awkward at times, right? Paul would have known firsthand the challenges of trying to live at peace with everyone. He had relational challenges from those he had persecuted, and he had relational challenges with the people he used to work for. Like in a very real sense, like he switched teams. Nonetheless, Paul writes to early Christians, who, by the way, lived in a city where they at time to times were under intense persecution, and he says, hey, I want you to live at peace with everyone. And so now, um, to be fair, that the backstory helps a little, but we still kind of want to write Paul off as sort of misguided and instructions are just sort of impossible, but You should also know that before Paul wrote, live at peace with everyone, he threw in a couple of extremely helpful phrases before he wrote that. Uh, The first phrase that Paul used goes like this. He said, if it is possible, live at peace with everyone. In other words, uh, living at peace with everyone might not be possible. And that makes sense if you think about it. I mean, there are two sides to every relationship, And Paul had seen relationships that he thought were way too far gone that had been repaired. But he'd also seen relationships that he thought were recoverable that hadn't recovered. And so Paul essentially tells Christians, hey, when it comes to broken relationships, I have some good news and I have some bad news. Like it might be possible to repair a broken relationship, even one that you think is beyond repair. But it might also not be possible. But even so, Paul argues that the pursuit of peace even without the guarantee of peace, is a journey that's worth taking. In other words, it's not a waste of time to pursue peace, even if you're never able to achieve it. So that's the first thing Paul says. He goes, if it is possible, I want you to live at peace with everyone. The second phrase that he uses actually is more like a challenge. He says it like this. He writes, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. With everyone. In other words, it's like Paul says to him, listen, I don't know if it's going to be possible, but, but here's the thing, as a follower of Jesus, like as someone who has embraced the reality that Jesus' death on the cross brought you eternal and lasting peace with God, as someone who's trying to be a new type of person in the world by following Jesus, you need to make sure that you've done everything you know to do in order to restore peace in your relationships, and obviously the phrase, as far as it depends on you, is like incredibly important. And, and so much so, I want to spend just a couple of minutes unpacking it with you. I, I mean, if you think about it, Paul writes, as far as it depends on you, for a really good reason, if my experience is any indication, right? Um, namely, when we encounter a breakdown in a relationship, most of us will naturally spend all our energies thinking about them, right? Right? <laughs> We think things like, well, if they would change, or if they would stop, or if they would get over themselves, or if they would quit being so selfish, or they would get some counseling. I've been saying that for years, right? Or if they would stop drinking so much, then we might be able to repair the relationship. It's all about them. But Paul says, no, no, no. As far as it depends on you, it's like he says, listen, you need to stop talking about them, and you need to start asking the question, what can I do to repair the relationship? And so, okay, that's the first thing, just to notice that Paul says, as far as it depends on you. Also notice that Paul writes, as far as it depends on you, and depends is a really interesting word, isn't it? It has all sorts of different meanings in our culture, mainly because of certain products that I don't want to talk about, (laughs) because you'll all get distracted and start to think about things you'd rather not think about in church. But anyway, Paul writes, as far as it depends on you, which at least for me raises a really important question. It goes like this. What is it that depends on you? Like in your broken relationship, in that particular situation that came to mind when I said, who hurts you? What, what is it that depends on you? Because probably something does. Let me give you a totally hypothetical example to show you what I mean. Imagine that around six years ago, a ridiculously good-looking middle-aged dad who happens to work as both a pastor and hair model in Ada, Michigan was walking down the stairs of his family home in order to spend some quality time with his four sons while their mother was away studying the Bible with some friends. And imagine that as he reached the bottom step, he stepped with the full force of his weight on what can only be described as the Lego from hell. Okay? Now, in this moment, he realized a profound truth. I mean, there is physical pain that visits us from time to time in this life, and we've all experienced that. But then there's stepping on a Lego pain, right? It's truly a next level experience. I mean, he may have even spoken in tongues at the time, <laughs> and he is not really a Pentecostal, okay? And, and so in that moment, He did something that I'm sure none of you parents in the room would ever have done. He completely uncorked upon his children, right? In fact, in reflecting on the moment later that night with his wife, he was thankful that his home had no security cameras or other monitoring equipment because, well, he picked up the Lego and sort of threw it at his boys, (laughs) And then, delirious with pain, he said to them, you you need to go to your rooms right now. And so they sort of, catching the energy of their father, they raced up the stairs, at which point he looked at the mess in the basement and he called, come back down here and clean up this mess. And then upon their arrival, as the pain continued to sear his body, right, he looked at them and said, what are you doing here? Get back to your room. And they were confused, and at that very moment, his wife walked in and gave him what only can be described as the look, okay, which fortunately ended the exchange. Anyway, a few days later, he heard two of his boys discussing something relatively insignificant when suddenly and without warning, one of the boys went from leveraging a normal tone to what can only be described as volcanic rage. And not one to miss an opportunity to parent, (laughs) The dad intervened and asked, what happened? Like everything was fine and suddenly you're raging. And the child looked back at his father through annoyingly innocent eyes, which seemed to say, I'm just doing what you did a few days ago. And catching that vibe from his son, he thought to himself, don't you bring that into this conversation. That that was a very different thing, right? There's no Lego in play right now, okay? The Lego changes everything. I guess what I'm trying to say is at least some of the rage shown by the kid in the story is learned by modeling behavior he's observed from his father. And so if he's honest, some of his kid's dysfunction depends on me. I mean him, right? Him in the story, right? So now let me ask you a question. In your broken relationships, what depends on you? Because something does. And here's why that's so critical for us to recognize. And this is, this is totally worth writing down if you're a note taker. It goes like this. If you own some of the blame, then you can't play the victim. And I'm telling you, I mean, I've worked with people for a long time, but, but it's a really big deal because it's very hard for victims to find their way to peace with people who have hurt them. So when it comes to your broken relationship you got to get to a point where you acknowledge that you contributed at least a little bit to some of the dysfunction. You need to think, okay, some of this depends on me. Like, I displayed some destructive behavior. I responded to their sin with sin. I mean, my sin was secondary, so, you know, I wouldn't have sinned if they hadn't sinned, but, but it was still sin. Two wrongs don't make a right. I shouldn't have said that. I infuriated the, the individual and inflamed the situation, and that, that depends on me. I mean, I I can own that. And I'm telling you, again, if if all the work that I've done with friends over the years is any indication, acknowledging your role in breaking your relationship is often the first step to potentially repairing those relationships. And that's why I'm convinced Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Okay, so now with the rest of our time, I want to give you a very powerful principle that I think can assist you when you're ready to begin to repair a broken relationship. Like if something about this sort of haunts you this week and you're like, you got that person. I said, who hurt you? They came to your mind. You're like, what would be like the first practical step that, that, you, might, that you might pursue? Um, and so the first step that I would argue can be a game changer is something called empathy. Now, empathy is the ability to see things from the other person's perspective. And it enables you to experience your relational tension in a way that you've never experienced it before. And and so one of the people who has taught me the most about empathy over the years is a celebrated writer and professor named Brene Brown. Like she is infamous. She's so famous. She's more than famous. She's infamous, right? Uh, And you may have heard of her. She has one of the most watched TED Talks in history. It deals with the power of empathy, and you can still watch it on the YouTube. I checked this morning, right? Like 14 million views and counting. I highly recommend it. Anyway, during the talk, Brene lays out how specifically we can pursue empathy in situations where we've experienced brokenness. And she breaks it down to three simple steps, which I will try to summarize. She does a way better job than me, you know, full disclosure. But step one, goes like this. If you find yourself in a broken relationship, a broken situation, step one, acknowledge that the other person's perspective is true to them. And we want to scream, yeah, but it's not true. Hold on, we'll get there, right? Uh, She says this really is powerful because when you allow yourself to take the other person's perspective, you're forced to acknowledge that they believe that they are justified in feeling what they're feeling. That's why they feel it. Moreover, and this is key, um, it's, not, uh, it's true to them, even if it's not true to you, and even if it's not true at all. I- I'm telling you, like, this simple insight helped me so much as I worked with friends during the past two years with all of the chaos and dysfunction that we found in our culture and all the different opinions that were swirling. It- it's like, wherever you land on those issues, empathy will help you have better conversations because you start to see where the other person is coming from and that that it actually is true to them. So that's step one. Acknowledge that the other person's perspective is true to them. The second step Brene identifies is something she calls suspend judgment. In other words, you must ask, what are they feeling without crossing into judgment? Like the judgment thing is when something deep inside of you gets defensive and wants to scream, but that's not how it happened. That's wrong. She says, listen, you need to try to feel what they're feeling without immediately trying to deconstruct it. Because when you resist that urge, then it actually becomes possible to recognize their emotional reality. And and now to be fair, you don't have to say that your feelings aren't valid and you don't have to agree that what they said was okay or what they did was okay. You just need to suspend judgment. That's necessary to activate Empathy. So step two, suspend judgment. And and now the third step, I think, is the one that's the hardest of the three. And it, it goes like this. You need to try and communicate what the other person is feeling to another person. And some would argue you could do this to yourself. You could write it on a notepad. I feel like it's so much better if you communicate what you have understood the other person to be feeling to another human being. Maybe it's like a trusted friend or a colleague. I mean, I recently met with a friend at Starbucks. It was the first time I've ever been there. It's a really good place. You should try it sometime, right? But a friend at Starbucks, and he'd been struggling with his mom since he left for college, which had been like 20 years ago. And based on some previous conversations that he and I have had about empathy, he told me that he'd been through the first two steps and that he called me to listen as he sort of communicated what he had learned about his mom and about the emotional space that she occupies. And and so he said, you know, he had come to recognize that much of the negativity and defensiveness that she displayed flowed from a broken self image. And that, for her, went all the way back to her childhood. Like, growing up, she had felt ignored, and consequently, she had come to believe that she didn't have as much value as other people. And so without realizing it, she was living out her pain on everyone around her. And he even said to me, like, the closer you get to her, the worse your relationship to her becomes. And so now, obviously, this is incredibly toxic behavior on the part of this guy's mom, but But for the first time, my friend told me that he understood why she did what she did. He said, you know, she does what she does because she thinks like she thinks and she believes what she believes. And I said, well, what are you going to do with that? And and he said, well, honestly, the next time I get with her and she does what she does, I'm not going to be surprised or angry or frustrated And then he said this, and I love this. He said, she's not a bad person. She's a broken person who's like acting out of her brokenness and unintentionally harming the people she loves. She's not a bad person. She's a broken person. I don't know about you, but I I know a lot of people, and if you think of them, you go, "I I think they're bad. And I would say, no, I think they're broken. I think something happened to them in their past that led them to do what they do today because that's true of all of us. And so he looked at me and he said, so I guess instead of asking what's wrong with her when she acts out of her brokenness, I'm just going to have to remind myself what happened to her to set her behavior in the context of her emotional reality. And I'm telling you, that's the power of empathy. It provides us with like a key to open a dialogue that can lead us in the direction of healthy or at least healthier relationships. It's like the truth is, as long as we continue to look at relational breakdown from only our own perspective, we're simply gonna reaffirm what we feel. And that's fine, and there's a season for that, but it really isn't that helpful because we already know what we feel and we're aware of, we know what we know and we're already aware of what we feel. And that's why if you want to find peace about, if not necessarily in a broken relationship, you should start with empathy. And I I know what some of you are thinking, because I've had this conversation over the years with a whole bunch of friends. In fact, one of my friends said, you should do this, like, thing as a series for Keystone, because this has been so helpful, and that's what I did. But um, I know what some of you are thinking, because, like, there are a million reasons not to walk the path of empathy, like, legitimate reasons, including things like, I don't want to, because it might make me feel sorry for them, and honestly, I'd rather spend my energy being mad at them. <laughs> if, I just put my, if, if I put myself in their shoes, if I allow myself to go there, if I, if I seriously consider their childhood and their past relationships, then I'm going to have to excuse what they did. And if that's what you're thinking, you need to know that's not what I'm saying. You don't need to excuse what they did. Not at all. I'm only suggesting that empathy can help you understand why they did what they did And ultimately, it can help you feel better about your own life and relationship with them. Because here's the thing. You're going to understand that whatever it was, it wasn't entirely personal. Like it may have been directed at you, but it had way more to do what was going on in them. And that's why, though empathy may not heal the relationship, it may allow you to feel peace about the relationship. Like, even if you can't find peace in the relationship. Okay, so one more more quick thing. Um, And to me, I just think this is key. I'm convinced that empathy is is powerful because it's actually at the very core of who our creator is. I mean, if you think about it, um, he took the long walk of empathy himself when he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to earth. He wanted to feel what we feel, He wanted to walk a mile in our shoes so he'd know what it's like to be one of us. And and to be fair, he didn't have to do that, but he did it. And then he invited people like you and me to follow his example. And that's why when you read Jesus' teachings, whenever Jesus instructs his followers to forgive, he says, listen, I need you to forgive like I forgave you. Like I went first, I gave you a model and I didn't, I'm not asking you to do something I haven't done. So forgive as I've forgiven you. And, and when he instructs his followers to love, he says, love as I have loved you. And when he instructs his followers to show mercy, he says, he reminds them like, he went first. He showed us mercy first. I'm telling you, when you take the long walk of empathy, you mirror what your heavenly father did for you. And so I guess my encouragement to you this morning as we sort of start this four-week journey is really consider taking that first step of empathy. But, and don't do it for me and don't do it for anyone else, but do it for you. And do it for your Father in heaven who did it for you. Because I'm telling you, and this is so true, the, p- the path of peace often begins with empathy. Empathy. The path to peace in that broken relationship that is, you've carried with you for years often begins with empathy. All right, now with that, I'd love to invite you to stand and uh, I'll close our time together in prayer. And once again this week, um, if you've come into this place and, and you would just love to pray with someone, you'd love to talk to someone about something that's going on in your life, i just invite you under the screen right over here um, after I dismiss and we'd love to spend a few minutes uh, just to encourage you. So uh, why, don't, why don't we pray together? Heavenly Father, um, it's so simple and yet so counterintuitive. Thank you for giving us tools to manage broken relationships. We live in a world that isn't what you had in mind in the beginning, and we desire to be people who work to restore what you intended, that a little bit of heaven would invade our reality by the way that we live and the way that we forgive and the way that we love so I pray for friends in this room that as soon as I put up the question who hurt you someone immediately flashed into their mind and for them this isn't in the past this is the present reality I pray that by your spirit you would begin to stir in them some practical steps that they can take to pursue peace with a relationship even if they can't find peace in that relationship thank you for loving us thank you for believing in us Thank you for coming among us as one of us to show us the way and the truth and the life. And it is in the matchless name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Grace and peace to your friends. We'll see you back next week for part two of Repairing Relationships.